One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's three. And I have three kids, Tony is 12, and Libby and Nate are eight. They are so adorable. Am I right? They are. I, we like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. What have your boys been doing lately that is cute, Katie? It's more of a question than a story this week. So Jay's been coming home pretty much every day for the past week or so. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Uh, listeners, by the time you hear this, Thanksgiving will have passed, but I think the question remains an important one. And he always has stories to tell about the first Thanksgiving and what they ate and what it was for and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just wondering if you've tackled like the true meaning of Thanksgiving with your kids, like the horrible history of genocide. It's come up. We've talked about it. It's not a pleasant conversation. Yeah, sadly, I've just been kind of redirecting to the fact that, like, the reason we celebrate Thanksgiving now is to be thankful for our family and what we have. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't really tackled the thorny historical implications, but I probably need to. I think it was way worse when we were kids, though, because we were taught in school, like, the Native Americans and the pilgrims sat down together and broke bread and were friends. Yeah, it's a tough one. Maybe I'll uh, I'll just broach the subject on Thanksgiving Day with like all the family at the table and just like stir the pot. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, or you can just start reading to Kenny and Jay, your six and three year old people's history of the United States before bedtime. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what have your kids been up to? I have a little bit of a lighter story this week. (laughs) um, Libby and Nate have been, and I think this is just like a holdover from Halloween. They have been dressing up their stuffed animals in homemade, handmade costumes made out of like construction paper and scotch tape. And it's really cute. Like Nate has this little round penguin called waddles and they made him a cape and like a mask like a pj masks type mask so now he's super waddles (laughs) that's adorable it is really adorable it's very funny do you want to talk about screen time in the news let's do it okay you picked an article from axios published on November 9th. And oddly, my mom is always trying to get me to list, to read Axios. She's a big follower of Axios oh, online. That's interesting. Um, by Sarah Fisher titled kids content is crushing it on TV and streaming. And this was like a roundup of bullet points. It was not quite like a narrative article talking about all the investments that are being made in 
children's programming because it used to be that kids content would like have subscribers hang on to a streaming subscription, but now it's really a driver for new subscribers. There are some companies that are investing lots and lots of money into YouTube franchises that are eventually going to sell a lot of toys. Coco Melon is a big one. We have not watched that for the podcast. I have avoided it because it's like a show for kids that are younger than my own, but I Googled it and like one of the top things was like, why is Coco Melon bad? And it's all about like the dopamine hits it gives kids and they get addicted to it. Um, One of the things covered in this article is like all the hot streaming on YouTube, like Blippi, Coco Melon, Ryan's World, the one where the kid opens up toys and plays with them. He is worth so much money though. It's crazy. Then on an investor call last week, Viacom CBS CEO Bob Backish emphasized the importance of kids content to Paramount Plus going forward. And I wondered if that was just like Paw Patrol movie effect. You think? Well, would you have subscribed to Paramount Plus if it hadn't been for the Paw Patrol movie? I certainly wouldn't have. Yes, but that is because my husband is a Star Trek fanatic. Mm, Okay, that makes sense. But from the kids' content perspective, definitely. And it was also like a place to watch at least some of the back seasons of Paw Patrol. They don't mm-hmm. have all of them, though. They might um, be having more original offerings then to supplement just the regular Nickelodeon stuff that is available on Paramount+. Plus. I wonder how the whole agreement with big movie studios is going to ultimately affect this strategy, though, because I feel like the whole reason Paramount Plus had the Paw Patrol bump was because they simultaneously released the Paw Patrol movie in theaters and uh, via their streaming platform. And since they're still insisting that this model is going to go away and we're Mm -hmm. all going to go back to theaters to see movies before we can watch them at home, which is a big question mark in my mind. I mean... Are they hoping to create new content of that caliber and then still be able to have separate theatrical releases as well? That seems like a lot. Yeah, this article really brought me down because it doesn't seem like they're concerned at all about, well, the companies that this article covers are not concerned at all about creating good children's content. Yeah, They're concerned about just attracting new users and selling related toys. Yeah, and just the ease of swooping in and purchasing an existing wildly successful YouTube franchise and porting that over to your streaming platform versus creating something new. It is kind of depressing. But it did make me wonder if we need to dip our toes back into the YouTube waters again. We probably should. It also made me want to check in with Danny Labrec from Danny Joe's Treehouse and see how he's doing with his original program on YouTube. Yeah, that's a really good point. Although he's not on YouTube anymore. Right. Um, I feel like I've, I'm have i in a very different place about the Ryan's World franchise than I was when we first talked about it like a million years ago. Because mm-hmm. we actually consume a fair bit of Ryan's World content. So oh, I, do you? <laughs> I feel compelled to at least defend him a little bit. Uh, he's moved away from just like pulling toys out of a box 
and mm-hmm. it's more like skit based and then I was reading he has like a whole deal with NASA to do like STEM oh. videos like oh. it's a lot more like they they do like DIY projects where they build crazy things out of cardboard and yeah they still do play with new toys but it's more like testing testing them out then I guess okay. in the past I thought of it as just like a oh watch me literally take this out of a box and I think they've right. moved away from that uh, my kids have been watching a show I cannot think of the channel right now but it's it basically looks like theater kids hmm. acting out funny skits and it's pretty unprofessional but I don't mind it it's not the Who Was show, is it? <laughs> Good question, but no, it's not. <laughs> I can see why you made that assumption. <laughs> okay, well, note to ourselves in the future, we should uh, take another look at YouTube. Yeah, I guess. Do you have any follow-up from our last episode? I have not watched Freebirds yet. I didn't even remember until this moment that that existed. You could see it on my face. I was like, oh, (laughs) rewind your brain, Katie. Um, Okay. (laughs) So weirdly, Elena of Avalor is having a total moment in our house. Like apropos of nothing, we were on Disney Plus trying to find something to stream. And Jay just saw it there and he's like, I really want to watch that. It's been so long since we've watched Elena. And he's very into it, which I thought was interesting. Nice. It is a good show. That was like one of the very first shows we watched for this podcast, right? Yeah, I kind of forgot how good the music was. Mm -hmm. Like the songs are really catchy and it does have that adventurous vibe. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying revisiting it and Jay is too, obviously. Kenny doesn't really care, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, shall we move on to our main topic? I'm so excited. Me too. All right, so today we are talking about the Netflix limited series, Maya and the Three. So Maya and the Three is a nine-episode Mexican animated streaming series that premiered on Netflix on October 22nd, 2021. It was created, directed, and written by Jorge R. Gutierrez, a Mexican animator who previously co-wrote and directed The Book of Life in 2014. It's produced by his Mexican-American animation production company, Mexopolis, and also Canada-based Tangent Animation. There are nine episodes that range in length from 26 to 44 minutes. I did check it out on Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media says it's appropriate for ages 9 plus, but we'll get into whether or not we agree or disagree with that assessment. It has a seriously star-studded voice cast. You've got Zoe Saldana, Diego Luna, Gael Garcia Bernal, Rita Moreno, Alfred Molina, Cheech Marin, Rosie Perez, Danny Trejo, Queen Latifah, and I was looking, one of our favorite voice artists is in this show. Can you guess who? Gray Griffin? Gray Griffin! Yeah. (laughs) She's in everything. She is. She gets around. Also, Wyclef Jean. Yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So many that I even left prominent ones off the list. That's how many there were. And the actress whose name is escaping me right now, but she played Dora in the Dora and the Lost City of Gold movie. Yes. 
Merced. Isabel Merced, Mm -hmm. maybe? That sounds right. All right, so I'm going to cop to the fact that I stole my summary from Wikipedia this time and just read it to you. So sorry, guys. It says, set in a world based on pre-colonial Mesoamerica and other indigenous cultures. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to read the first part of that sentence and then I'm going to wing it. (laughs) Set in a world based on pre-colonial Mesoamerica and other indigenous cultures, Maya lives with her father, mother, and three brothers, and they rule a kingdom that believes very strongly in this prophecy that the king is the eagle warrior and his three sons are the three brave jaguars that are someday going to defeat the gods and save the kingdom. They've predicated all their lives on this assumption. And Maya's mother, the queen, is kind of like in charge of actually running the kingdom while the dudes are like preparing for this great prophecy Maya has been trained to be a warrior as well, and in classic modern princess fashion, she's really bridling against the idea that she has to be a proper princess instead of a warrior like her brothers. So when she turns 15 and everything goes pear-shaped and the god of the underworld is like, Maya, I want you and her brother and her dad rush off to fight the underworld gods on her behalf... She kind of realized that maybe something was up with this prophecy all along. Maybe she has a greater role to play than she thought. That's a good summary. There's a lot going on in that first episode. Yeah, there's no way I could do it in a sentence. Right. So we picked it because I really loved the Book of Life when it came out. Did you see that one? No, now I really want to. Yeah, it was good. And even though it came out in 2014, I always kind of felt like it got overshadowed by Coco Coco was a few years later, but mm-hmm. I feel like when people think about kind of big, splashy Mexican animated movies, they just forgot about the Book of Life. Not yeah. that I don't think Coco is an amazing movie. I also like that, too. <laughs> we also talked in our Do Ray and Me episode, which we did two episodes before this, about how the fact that it only had such a short episode order, it was only like six episodes in the first season, made it feel like they were making prestige kids TV and how what a joke that was in the case of Do Ray and Me because <laughs> spoiler alert, it was terrible. Um, but this is actually a nine episode limited series. So it really is prestige t- TV for children. And I was excited by that concept. Mm-hmm. Excited slash curious, I think. So we watched the first three episodes, chapter one, Quinceañera, chapter two, The Prophecy, and chapter three, The Rooster. We will quickly go through the episodes one by one, hopefully in a little bit shorter fashion than I did in my initial summary. I apologize. And then we'll move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, why don't you take us away? Okay, so in chapter one... We meet Maya and her family, and Maya is a very reluctant participant in her quinceanera ceremony. And then in the middle of the ceremony, Zatz, a bat prince, he appears and he wants to take Maya to the underworld and sacrifice her to the god of war. And it turns out her biological mother, who is like the goddess of death plot twist (laughs) (laughs) very surprising plot twist right off the bat Mm -hmm. you think you're gonna watch 
one thing I thought it was going to be like a secondhand Royals type of situation where she doesn't really want to be like a princess or whatever, but no, there is a lot to discover about her family history and her life's trajectory. I loved this as a pilot. What did you think? I liked it a lot. I was captivated by it. I thought it was a good story. In a certain way, this limited series is kind of a classic hero's journey, right? So you know right Mm -hmm. off the bat that Maya is going to have to leave her family and fulfill her destiny, not necessarily on her own, but like away from the caring arms of her parents. And with that in mind, I loved how they set up the family dynamics, even knowing that like that wasn't going to be the thrust of the series moving forward. I thought there was such attention to detail and such loving care in building all of these relationships that Maya had with her brothers and Mm -hmm. with each one of her parents. That made me feel like I was in good hands right off the bat. Like if you're going to take that kind of time to make me feel about something that ultimately is not going to move the plot forward all that much, Mm -hmm. I... I feel really good about it. I particularly loved her relationship with her brothers who are so dumb and they've (laughs) only been bred with the purpose of being these Jaguar warriors. So they're wonderful warriors, but they're big dum-dums, but the warmth that she feels for them and the warmth that they feel for her, despite this is so clear. And Mm -hmm. I just loved that as a family dynamic. Cause it's true. Like you're, your siblings could be whatever and like no matter what they are you kind of love them you know mm-hmm. yeah plus side note zats prince of bats <laughs> 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 and it was just full of these like moments of levity i'm aware that the summary makes it sound really heavy-handed but it was downright funny in places mm-hmm. yep serious plot overall but lots of funny asides All right, you want to move on to episode two? Sure. All right, I'll try to be as spoiler light as I possibly can. But um, given that the first episode ends with this attack by the forces of the underworld, the second episode is pretty much Maya's father and brothers go off to fight the underworld gods. It doesn't work out as planned. And they learn to reinterpret the prophecy as involving Maya as the eagle warrior. Mm -hmm. What did you think of this one? So they kind of get into Maya's, who she thinks are her parents, their drama, and they have a very Clintonian relationship. Like King Tekka cheated on his wife with this goddess in the underworld. And then Maya as a baby was brought to them. And then the woman who's been raising Maya, who she thinks is her mother, has just accepted Maya as her daughter from the very beginning. I, you know, I love like an adoption story in a fictional kids show. So I loved this. I thought it was kind of a very like heavy family background thing that we don't usually see in American television. So I liked that. Especially even the mention of infidelity is not something that you get in a kid's show almost ever. So it was like an emotional journey that I was not expecting. No. (laughs) I thought I was just going to watch cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? What did you think? 
Uh, every bit as positive as episode one. Okay, so my biggest question mark was Maya's mom keeps trying to emphasize to her the importance of diplomacy versus military strength. Mm-hmm. And yet they end up like sending her away all clad in warrior gear to continue her quest. And I just worry that it's going to kind of undo some of that, at least lip service that she was paying at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is actually all about war. Oh, OK. That's just not the messaging <laughs> that I'm necessarily used to in a kid's show. That would be my, yeah. my one quibble with this episode. Um, do you want to move on to chapter three? Let's do it. OK. So this is too hard to summarize in one sentence. So Maya is like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, sort of. She's on this journey. She needs to go to these different places, like different kingdoms, and find these three other warriors who are going to help her on her journey. So chapter three, she goes to Luna Island, and she's supposed to find the rooster, she's the eagle she's gonna find a rooster and she ends up finding this guy named Rico who has made like some terrible error as a very young uh wizard yeah it seems like Luna Island is where they train all the witches and wizards yeah so she figures out on Luna Island that that's who is supposed to accompany her on the journey a lot of other things happened, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the gist of it. Right. And he like proves himself as like a capable mm-hmm. wizard by the end of the episode. What did you think of this chapter? I mean, it's a familiar kids TV trope. Like the the one you suspect the least is going to end up being exactly the one you need. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's some popular kids messaging. Mm-hmm. And... I was okay with it. Like, I thought it was executed well. I really loved the, like, comedic perspective brought by the rooster. He has, like, a sentient wand named... Oh, uh, it and it starts with an E, doesn't it? Um, gosh. It's like Gargamel, but it's not Gargamel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he has a sentient wand that is essentially another character. And their whole dynamic together I found very charming. Again, I continued to just really like the mix of tones between these like pretty serious life and death fighting against the gods battles with just a levity that I found really, really appealing. What did you think? Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. I liked Rico and his background story. Um, There was a very funny moment where Maya goes in and like all these witches and wizards have it looks like they're no longer sitting where she originally found them. And like Rico gives her this powder and she sees that they've actually been masking themselves with an invisibility spell. That was kind of clever. I thought we get to know her Chiapa. Is he a Jaguar? Yeah. He's a battle Jaguar, which is weird because her brothers were Jaguars, but this is a real Jaguar. Right. So we get to know him a little bit more. There was a really weird, funny scene where there's like a pair of twins who like, they kind of want to be friends with Chiapa, but they also kind of want to eat Chiapa. (laughs) (laughs) I also like to see a pair of creepy twins in uh, any show that I watch. (laughs) The whole thing, I mean, this chapter you realize like, oh, this is going to be about her going to these different areas and finding the rest of her crew that she's going to need to defeat the underworld 
you know I love the whole journey of Chapa the Battle Jaguar because I love it when they highlight a cat character as not a villain and like he really goes through it he's suffering from a little PTSD from that original battle and um the king insists that he go with Maya on this journey, but he's really not sure he can do it. So he kind of flakes out at key moments. But then at the end, he comes back around and realizes he still has something to give. And all this in the form of a giant jaguar that doesn't speak. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, he's a good character for sure. So I think my reaction was clear based on what I've already said. But to move on to our general thoughts... Did you like it? I loved it. I thought it was really good. How about you? I am so enthusiastic. I posted it on our social medias and I was like, this looks a little busy and a little complicated and it worries me. Turns out I love it. I'm happy. It can be as busy as it wants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the cast and characters? Was there anyone you particularly loved or hated? Um, I guess I've already said I really liked Chiapa and the Brothers Jaguar. I think Maya herself is good. Um, King Tekka was very lovable. What did you, who were, who were some of your favorites? I love Diego Luna's voice. I think it's very distinctive. Um, so I was happy to hear that he plays mm-hmm. Zets, the, the Prince of Bats, which I just find to be so silly. And then Rita Moreno is like a kind of a kooky woods witch spirit that like shows up and occasionally spits butterflies (laughs) and she was wonderful (laughs) as well (laughs) like every weird thing that I'm saying is just as weird as it sounds but like weird in a wonderful way guys Mm -hmm. yeah did you have any thoughts on off the top about the animation I'm really curious to hear what you thought of the look of the show I thought it was stunning I don't know okay so like some of the characters wear makeup that reminds me of like um, candy skulls in like Dia de los Muertos type artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of the like the settings are very fantastical and like the costumes that the like Maya and her family wear for the ceremony. They're really great, super detailed, lots of gold, really bright colors. And then the underworld, like the people in the underworld, the gods or whatever in the underworld are creepy, but not in a scary way. Right. I thought they were really well done. What did you think of the animation? I stand behind everything you've just said. I don't know why I could embrace this world in which clearly fantastical things were happening. And yet, whenever they put the like big stripe of makeup across their eyes... Uh I just couldn't get over how it never got smudged. Oh, yeah. Like, at one point, Maya was crying, and there was not a red streak down her cheek, and I just seized on that. But really, the thing that I wanted to ask you about was the character design. Because the men are all drawn, well, with the exception of Rico, to be, like, huge. (laughs) Just, Mm -hmm. like, not realistic-shaped bodies. Like, they're torsos are huge and their arms are huge and then like their legs are pretty tiny Mm -hmm. Um, and then the women are like basically what in modern animation counts as like the normal form of a woman Uh uh-huh did you have any thoughts on that disparity at all okay just talking about the women so I did like 
Maya's hair-shaped body. Mm-hmm. She's very she's much like hips. the Incredibles, mm-hmm. like the mom from the Incredibles. <laughs> like she's like a size four top and like a size 10 body or like hips, which is like we're moms. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> um, so I did like that. She's not like a Barbie skinny person, but I did notice at the very, I think it was in episode one, the dad is like handing something to mom, to the mom. And like his hand is as big as her whole body. Like mm-hmm. how can they be even of the same species? Right. And like, yeah, this, this show is not alone in doing this. As I was watching it, I kept thinking of, did you watch the How to Train Your Dragon franchise? Mm, we've had those on in our house. I haven't paid a lot of close attention to them, though. It's a similar sort of like huge disparity between the size of the men and the size of the women. Although it, I think it was even more exaggerated in this case. I mean, duh, of course it was intentional, but also just the attitude of all the women. Like whenever there was a woman with a man, like whether they were siblings or father and daughter or spouses, the rapport between them seemed to be like the man was nominally in charge and the woman was like eye-rollingly indulgent of his stupidity but the one that was really in charge and I kind of hated that dynamic like yeah uh, I don't think we should be like just chuckling benignly at that anymore I'm, I'm ready yeah. to be to be done with giving men a pass on using their brains yeah do you think that's maybe a cultural thing because it is maybe I don't know I don't know Mexican culture is like a lot more macho than American culture I guess all right well then maybe I need to give it a pass but it was really annoying to me in this instance because it was so uniform across every interaction between Mm -hmm. a woman and a man and the other character design thing was not did not bug me as much. But what is with this guy's obsession with weird noses? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, the Luna Island matriarch has a crazy nose. Oh yeah, like at yeah. one point her nose gives someone a hug. <laughs> <laughs> and then often you'll see men with pig snouts like his nose design is just maybe the wackiest thing about the way these characters look yeah that's kind of like early man animation I remember that movie I don't think there's a connection though between this show and that movie oh no they're very different animation studios Mm -hmm. but man that that nose that particular nose (laughs) that is a sight all right So what are your thoughts on an actual prestige limited series for children? Was it a hit? I liked it. I think it seems different, but I think you could think of it as like a movie you watch over three days. Right. And or, I think, oh, go ahead. And I think if you have a kid who's like old enough to sit through a movie with a slightly more complex plot, that this is just as you were saying, an extension of that. Yeah, it's definitely not for preschoolers. It'd be for elementary on up because you have to be able to follow a pretty complicated plot in order to enjoy this fully, I think. Um, you know, The Last Kids on Earth is another mini series that's on Netflix. My kids have liked that and they'll rewatch that, like an episode here or there from that. So but I think they, they might treat this in the same way. Haven't they? 
oh, I might, might not be on top of it. Yeah, they have done multiple seasons. And I don't know, maybe that's the plan with this too. I I honestly have not done any reading on the future of Maya and the Three. It could just be this wonderful little nine episode gem that we get to enjoy. Mm-hmm. In my house lately, we're very much in the more is better phase when it comes to television. Yeah. Like my <laughs> kids are very into Pokemon. And so they want like they're very glad that there are like a million series with a million episodes of Pokemon mm-hmm. plus like a million movies. There's just a lot of Pokemon to be had. So if you have a kid that's like an ardent completist, I wonder if this would be appropriate. (laughs) Like if a kid would watch this and then just be crushed that there are only nine, like what do I even do with that small a number? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did the varying runtimes bug you at all for a kid's show? It wasn't that much of an issue with these first three episodes that we watched. They were really like between 30 and 35 minutes. It didn't bother me too much. I think we're more accustomed or I am more accustomed to that watching things on streaming, which I kind of appreciate as creator or the artist making this content isn't like boxed into that 22 minute Mm -hmm. sitcom length any longer. So I find that refreshing. Unless you as a parent are still boxed into the must regiment my screen time down to the minute and will right. only allow <laughs> 30 minutes of screen time for night, then then you might find this a little frustrating. But, but I right. think That's I have made true. clear that I am not one of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is something to be said for leaving the audience wanting more. And I think... Like the chair with Sandra O. Oh, mm-hmm. was that on Netflix? That was so. like, that was ju- like just six episodes or something. And it was such an enjoyable show for me to watch. And I loved it so much. And I was like, kind of crushed when I realized that it was only those six episodes and I really wanted more. But I feel like that's a much more satisfying viewing experience than something that goes on for way too long and jumps the shark. Yeah, knowing how much I liked The Book of Life and how much I am really enjoying this series, I guess I can just say that I only hope to see more content from this creator because I Mm -hmm. I clearly respond to his aesthetic and his storytelling style. Yeah, totally. Were you able to compare this to any show or movie for grownups? This is a little bit of a stretch, but I kept thinking about Ingrid Goes West that movie with Aubrey Plaza. I've never even heard of this movie. Tell me more. Um, she like becomes obsessed with this uh, influencer on Instagram and she goes out to California and tries to set up like a parallel life and imitate this woman. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of something that was like hero goes on a journey without being so prescriptive about it. Right. Also, it's like The Wizard of Oz, but I also, I already said that. (laughs) Was this um, Aubrey Plaza movie good? I liked it a lot, yeah. All right. I'll add it to my list of things to watch when Kevin's gone. (laughs) How about you? Were you able to compare it to anything for grownups? I mean, my first thought was like classic adventure movies like Indiana Jonesy. Mm -hmm. Again, listeners, we are recording this around Thanksgiving. So it's just about to be the premiere of a new prestige fantasy series on Amazon Prime called The Wheel of Time, which is like one of the most classic hero goes on a journey fantasy series that has ever been written. So um, 
I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I have read the first several books in the series, so I think that probably counts as a similar uh, for grown-ups property. Sure. So if you're in the mood for wizards and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) Were you able to cast the Gritty HBO reboot? Okay, I have. America Ferreira plays the mom. Linda Cardellini Cardellini plays the biological mother, the goddess of death or whatever in the underworld. Dwayne the Rock Johnson as King Tekka, the dad. Because his actual body dimensions are pretty yes. close to those of the yes, animated characters. Yes, I think they base this animation on Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I mean, so Isabella Merced, the, the young woman who played Dora in the live action Dora movie, is already in this movie, but I would have her play Maya. Yeah, because she's reveal. a better age to do it as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could have a lot of fun with the Jaguar brothers. I would cast some comedians in those roles like Tiffany Haddish, Zach Galifianakis, maybe Amy Schumer. <laughs> kind of like a similar vibe to the hyenas in The Lion King. Yes. Or the camels in The Star. Oh, like, I forgot it was holiday season. You might be watching that one again. <laughs> but like, it's hard to improve upon the casting because the voice actors are so good. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I did a total punt just because I love Diego Luna's face and mm-hmm. his voice. So I would love to see him playing the actual Zats, the Prince of Bats, which I just will never stop getting a kick out of saying because it is ridiculous <laughs> for a character that is meant to be menacing. Um, mm-hmm. And also when it comes to Zoe Saldana, I am just always in favor of seeing her act when she is not painted green and not like CGI'd to look like an alien being. Like I would love to see more of her actual human form on screen. So yeah. Do you think it was better when we were kids? No, I don't think we had anything like this when we were kids. In terms of uh, cultural inclusion Like, we just weren't exposed to any of this. I mean, yeah, this is such a relicking good time story with such a unique point of view. I can't, I cannot even think of a comparison from our youth. Yeah. And just the, just the animation itself is so beautiful and well done. Would you watch this alone voluntarily? I want to watch it with my kids because I think they will like it. But if I can't get them to, I would finish it on my own. How about you? I am going to say this right now and I might be proven wrong, but I sincerely hope not. I I want to. I will. I intend to. I am very into it after these first three episodes. I'm invested. I want to know how it ends. I'm having a great time. (laughs) So I hope to watch the rest of it alone voluntarily because... As we will segue into 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids, my children are too young for it. Kenny, certainly, your six-year-old mileage may vary. My six-year-old is not in a place to devote uh, this much concentrated attention to an involved plot. Yeah, it's a pretty complicated plot for sure. Definitely for a little bit older kids. But I'm excited. It's good for, oh, go ahead. I'm excited to hear what your kids' reactions are to it. Yeah, and I think, like, Tony is old enough where he doesn't want to be watching, like, cartoons all the time, but this one is uh, pretty sophisticated. And there are topics that you might find that you don't want to have to address with your children, in which case maybe I would steer clear of this until you feel like you want to talk about things like death 
like what happens after people right. die and you know there is violence and well quite a bit of the violence is a little cartoony because the gods that they're fighting are kind of cartoony images it's not it's not all cutesy love and flowers mm-hmm. yeah ratings I'm going to give it a five. Yes, me too. If I could give it more stars than five, I would. I am (laughs) in the bag for this show. I'm so glad because, you know, it came out in the middle of October. Here we are coming up on December. I thought, should we cover something newer? Like, has this already, has its time passed? I am so glad we went back to it to cover it. I love being pleasantly surprised by things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail. We're at myscreentime2. You can send us our sh- your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye.